Have you been curious about fertility awareness and which method is right for you? Are you sick of the one-size-fits-all approach to healthcare, being just another number at your doctor's office? Do you feel alone in your fertility journey, like you have no one to talk to, or no one understands you, or like you've been left out of the conversation completely? Do you wish someone would just be straight with you about the practice of fertility awareness in real life? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Mary Bruno. And I'm Emily Frazee. And together, we're on a mission to make fertility awareness and restorative health care more accessible and more authentic. We bring the hard and uncomfortable conversations that touch the nitty-gritty parts of the practice that matter to you. Welcome to the Fanbase Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different, but a little bit fun. We're starting off. This is going to be... Um, a first part of a two-part series that I'm going to be interviewing Emily today, and she's going to interview me next time. So the series is called When Charting Sucks. And I just love that title so much. It's so appropriate. And this is I one- I wish we, of- could, we could call it When Charting Blows Massive Chunks, because that's like my preferred analogy. <laughs> But that looks a little weird in print. I love your <laughs> authenticity. I really do. Um, so, and th- this is one of the many different ways we get to kind of play off our differences and our different situations to serve you better. So before we get that started, though, um, Emily, what's your messy? I have two messies. First of all, my hair. Um Yeah. Which I mean, like, I, we shouldn't pick something that is always messy. Like I could always pick my hair. Let's be honest. Um, (laughs) But I'm picking it today because I haven't had a haircut in a year. (laughs) And I'm like, well, and why haven't you had a haircut in a year? Because I had a baby (laughs) and my hair person is an hour away and I'm not changing because he's amazing. And when you have curly thick hair and you find your person, you stick with that person. And as long as they're not in another state, you drive to see that person. So it's literally to go get my haircut is literally a four hour thing, like including commute time. And I've just been needing my baby to get on solid foods and get on a schedule where I can leave him for four hours and mm-hmm. it's all good. And we are now here finally. And in two glorious weeks, I am going to get my haircut. Hallelujah. And I cannot wait. Cause that's some nice me time too, right? Oh yeah. And he's yeah. great. We will just shoot the breeze for an hour and a half. Like I love talking to this guy. We talk, And that's like, that's the other thing. If you're going to be sitting in a chair for an hour and a half, you got to have a rapport with the guy. Otherwise oh, yeah. it's like, I, I ain't going back, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay. So yes, he is the whole package. I adore him. He cuts, he knows how to cut my hair. First of all, he has curly thick hair, so he gets it. He gets it. He gets it. Mm-hmm. And he's, we have the best. So, so what's your other one? You said you had two. Oh, my <laughs> house. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, no, that I also kind of goes without saying, but it's, it's, yeah. I was looking at my sink today and I was like, hmm, I should. Yeah. That's looking a little oh, gross. Totally. <laughs> I could probably always have that one too. I mean, I know I shouldn't pick the ones that are always. No, it's okay. Option. 
but it's like that's what I got right now. But like, that's yeah. reality. I mean, it's, it's reality. It's sometimes it it's messier than other times too. So it's this is one of those times right when you're now. like, no, it's messy. So like, my messy is we got a new puppy. No, nah, so there's pee everywhere. <laughs> not everywhere. But there Yet. has been more pee and poop on our floor than usual or ever. Um, until well, since our last puppy, which is who is now three years old. Um, never thought we'd have two dogs in, in at the same time, but um, we do, and I, I just absolutely love it. Even though it's 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 the potty training part, you know, uh, it's getting better. By the way, it's def- the pee and poop is definitely decreasing. Um, but today it stormed this morning, and I took the umbrella out twice, and he didn't want to go, so of course he pooped in the house today. Um, so that was lovely, but he's just brought me so much joy. I mean, like, it's just, it's totally worth it. You don't have the the cute new puppy without the messy part. So no, it's, it's the both and, and he's so cute. He He really is like stupid cute. He's a little snuggle bug. He is. Okay. On to the topic. Crap filled snuggle bug. Anyway. Yes. And speaking (laughs) of crappiness. Yes. A lovely segue. When charting sucks unplanned in your case. So um, charting is more than the marks on the paper and the app Mm -hmm. on your phone. And then this is one of the ways that like, I think you see the different, well, actually, no, I guess this is the same for both of our situations, but there's that learning curve. There's a lot, there's stress. Um, there's empowerment though. That's also, um, becoming evident. And then the knowledge, it's also not just about the woman. There's, if you're in a relationship, there's somebody else in the picture too. If you're having sex, you're either trying to avoid or achieve pregnancy. There will often be abstinence. There's a relationship to consider and we all have expectations. So we all come into the charting experience and into marriage with our own expectations. So when we talk about charting, talking about all of it Um, because what's happening in life and with our health and with our relationships has an effect on our charting experience and the charting experience has an effect on life. So I think instinctively when you talk about charting and learning how to chart, everybody thinks about the the physical, like whatever you're using Uh to do that. And it's not so simple or it's not so automatic to to consider all the things that are happening in life around that. And I think mm-hmm. your story illustrates that really well. And I know that one of the reasons that you got into this work is because of the expectations that were given to you mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. you got married and started having sex and really started to chart and how when you recognize and practiced in real life different everything was so can you can you just start us off by explaining what were some of the expectations that you were given about marriage and sex and charting and then kind of how that played out yeah so there's a lot there Um, (laughs) okay um well, okay. So like any good Catholic, I didn't learn NFP until I was in marriage prep. Um, and so, you know, sometimes not even there for some people, but, um, yeah, it was just the way that it was pitched. We learned, uh, thermal through couple to couple league and compared to other NFP programs, they actually did it. I think like a decent job. It was three, three hour long sessions. Okay. Which is like, that is way more intensive than most people. The problem is that's not enough to learn how to read your body. 
Like what I learned in retrospect is like, it's not so much about, I mean, I understand like in marriage prep, you have a captive audience. So let's like people might not necessarily come back. So let's get them while we got them. I get that approach. Mm -hmm. Um, But the follow-ups are so important. Like everything was about preparing and like, yes, I was charting, but I wasn't having sex. I wasn't actually implementing the, like the, the ramifications of the chart were not being played out yet. So there was a certain level where you could almost say like, it was still theory. Um, and so like what I needed help, I needed help with the follow-ups. Okay. Now, once we start having sex, like I need to go back and be like, okay, you told me that I was going to have six days of abstinence, but it's two weeks. What am I doing wrong? Cause that's what I thought. I was like, I thought I was doing something wrong because this is what I was told. This was the expectation I was given, but here's my reality. And they're very different. And for me, I didn't realize this at the time, but there was a lot of, uh, I can't pinpoint like the single place where this came from. I think it came from a lot of different places, but I did believe the obligation sex message. Mm. I absolutely did believe that I owed my husband sex that like when we got, because, and this was kind of the way that NFP was pitched was like, you get to have the most sex and the best sex. And so the way that I processed that was like, well, you should be having a lot of sex. Mm. And so and it's not because it's what Nick told you or like, no, communicated no, to you. that was the stupidest part of it. When I finally, like years into our marriage, I've like sat down and I was, cause I started questioning these things. And I was like, right. do you think that I owe you sex? And he was like, no. And I was like, damn it. Why didn't we talk about this sooner? <laughs> this could have saved me a lot of headaches anyway, proverbial headaches anyway. Right. Um, yeah, but it was. There was so much stuff that I was coming in with that I didn't understand. And so when you have the reality of, oh, and then the other thing that I missed out on, the way that it was taught, there was no emphasis placed on the man's contribution to the fertile window, right? It was just the only thing that we were told was the way that the man um, participates is by keeping the chart. And it was taken to such a degree that it was like, if he doesn't keep the chart, he doesn't love you. That was almost how it was pitched and equated. So you can imagine that when we get married and my husband's like, I don't really care about the chart. Just tell me what it says. I'm like, well, you don't love me, you know? So this created like all sorts of unneeded tension and strife and pain and hurt when if they had just told me like, hey, whether or not he keeps the chart, he's kind of a really big factor in determining your fertile window because he is fertile all of the time. He's never not fertile. Anytime he has sex, he can make a baby, right? Like, hello, why don't we talk about that? Why is the emphasis so heavily placed on the woman? And his only contribution is if he writes down something on a piece of paper, right? Like, are you kidding me? I think I can count the number of men who actually enjoy that on one hand and Weirdly enough, I think most of them are engineers and they're just like geeks about data. So <laughs> my husband is not a geek about data, so he doesn't care about this. Um, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care about me. That doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It just means that like the way that we figured out how to share our fertility had to look different. And so I think the biggest problem was that we were kind of, we were not encouraged to figure out our own uniqueness and how to make this work for us. It was, here's what it is. Here's how you do it. Go. There was no invitation, no opportunity to say, okay, 
here's charting, here's how it works, here's how you determine the fertile window. Now, how's that playing out for you? How's that working? Have you tried, are you trying like different things? If this isn't working, have you thought about like something where we could actually figure out how this plays out uniquely for us? That was never encouraged. And going back to the obligation sex message stuff, it it, it was almost kind of like this, you know, this is, this is something that we only talk about between women. Listen, let me tell you, like, uh, for example, when I was six weeks postpartum with my first, I went back to my doctor, of course, you know, you do your six week postpartum checkup and she's like, uh, telling me that I need to get on birth control. It was very interesting because at my two week checkup, I went with my husband because I was two weeks postpartum after a C-section. I still couldn't drive. Um, so he had to drive me. So we're in this appointment. She asks us about our birth control choice at my two week checkup when I'm postpartum after a C-section, because that's all I am is a sperm receptacle. Anyway. Um, like how that's the most pressing issue. Wait, you said two weeks. So you're not even having sex yet again. No. Right. (laughs) But she's like, what birth control do you want? And my husband and I were like, we're using NFP and she didn't really say anything. Well, when I went back at six weeks without my husband, because I could drive, It was like, now she's like, okay, now we're going to have a woman to woman conversation basically. And she said, point blank. She says, Emily, I have been married for 20 years and I will just tell you that men have needs. And I internalized that. Right. And, and the message was, Emily, you don't matter. You don't matter. You just had major surgery. We don't care about that. Your husband needs sex. He needs a place to deposit his sperm. He needs to ejaculate. That's what that message was. And I'm using as crude of terms as possible because mm-hmm. that's what that let's means. Let's say what it, let's call it let's what it is. Let's say what it is. And yeah. it's like, listen, if all he needs is a place to ejaculate, they make sex toys for that. And this woman's yeah. poor marriage. And she's coming out here right? like, I've, I've been married for 20 years. Let me Let give me you just my you. wisdom. Right. And it's like, and I'm over here like, well, I'm so sorry that this is what your marriage has been like. Right. But at that point I was, I didn't realize that I had just experienced a traumatic birth. Yeah. Okay, so I'm in a yeah. very vulnerable position. Breastfeeding was overwhelming. I was exhausted. I was sleep deprived. And then this woman is telling me that my husband needs me to be sexually available at all times. So and don't so worry I was about just, what your body needs to recover. No, healing. no. You just need to get yourself to be able to tolerate sex, not even like, tolerate him or just, just yeah, whatever. suck it up and suck it up and deal. Do it. Um, so that's what I like took into my marriage. Right. <clears throat> and that, you know, just this it, it's so dehumanizing. It's not just dehumanizing to me. It's dehumanizing to my husband. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. it's basically telling it's, it's having absolutely zero expectations of him as a human being. Right. Like, like he's no that, more than somebody who needs to deposit his sperm. And, right. Like he can't like live if he person. doesn't, if he doesn't ejaculate. And I'm like, yeah. sweetheart, if that's all he needs, he's got a hand. <laughs> if it's like, if sex toys are too expensive, there's something at the end of your arm, go for it. Like, you don't need me for that. If that's mm-hmm. all it's about, you don't need me for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but of course I didn't know all of that at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about that at the time. And so When we were, when I was postpartum with our second, obviously I had a C-section. So we have like serious need to avoid pregnancy if I want to pursue a VBAC, which I do because we've already failed NFP. We had a surprise baby. So now I'm like, this is not effective and I may not be able to avoid pregnancy. So I need to attempt a VBAC because I don't trust NFP to work. I may end up with six kids. 
So I can't keep having C-sections. So we seriously have got to avoid pregnancy until I'm at least nine months postpartum so that I can attempt a VBAC. So we switched to Creighton um, because I knew that with symptothermal temperature is obviously only confirming ovulation after it happens. It's not helping you predict when it's coming up. So we learned Creighton because a friend of mine had used Creighton and she had postponed pregnancy postpartum. And I was like, okay, this is possible. And I was like, and in my mind, I was like, oh, this only uses one biomarker. That's so easy. I didn't realize that like you have to get a PhD in cervical mucus. And it's like the last time you need to get a PhD is when you're postpartum traumatized and it just overwhelmed. Like this is not, not, this is not the time to get your PhD. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. But then I also, in retrospect, realized that the instructor that I had was not teaching me proper breastfeeding protocols. I didn't know that breastfeeding actually produces basically arousal fluid um, because it produces oxytocin. Um, and that obviously affects your mucus symptoms. So don't so check you your should mucus. be checking outside of breastfeeding like an hour or something before. And like, yeah, yes, there's, there's ways yes. that you can go around that. Right. So, okay. So now we're using this method that I'm having a really hard time understanding. I think that my husband needs sex from me. Okay. So there is so much pressure on me to keep the chart because he's not keeping the chart. Um, And so that's the only way that I know that he can share fertility, but also I owe him sex and also I'm overwhelmed and ah, so needless to say, we end up conceiving our second one, uh, as soon as my fertility returned postpartum. Because you want to try to use every infertile day that you have because your husband needs sex. Right. Right. Yeah. And this was, um, there was all sorts, like, this is just like in the air we breathe. Um, There's certainly, it comes from religious perspectives, this idea that like men need sex, certainly out there in the secular world. Um, I wanted to ask, before you move on, I wanted to ask you about that too, because I was thinking about that when you were talking about your doctor, because- I mean, it it looks maybe a little bit different, but it's not something that we don't feel in the church either, whether no matter what denomination. Okay. Let's just make that clear. But you told me a story about something a priest Mm -hmm. in RCIA said, can you share that? So I can't remember the exact context. So uh, one of my friends became Catholic several years ago and I, um, the RCIA program was in a church right across the street from where we lived. So I was like, well, I can go to this. Cause I was, I was like, Hey, this is cool. I get to brush up on my faith. Like, this is great. Um, it was an awesome group. Um, I really enjoyed going. Um, but the priest was literally at one point talking about, <clears throat> we were talking about NFP or whatnot. And I think I even mentioned, something about like, yeah, like you're going to have to abstain and whatnot. And the priest was like visibly kind of like freaked out. And he like, cause he was leading it that day. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't, I can't see you on Monday, but I'll see you on Thursday. I'll never forget that he said that, like, it, you know, that if you can't have sex one day, like, okay, we're going to come back very soon and, and we'll be able to have sex later, you know, like, but it won't be very long. Like everybody calm down. And I was just like, I I didn't have the ability at the time to be like, you're giving a lot of people very poor expectations right now. And that was something that I kind of internalized as, okay, yeah, no, you need to be having a lot of sex. You that like, that's what makes a marriage good is having a lot of sex. Well, and the way he's presenting it is coming like the birth control, like Yes. Like he doesn't want yes. NFC to seem different than birth control, which is part of the issue, a big issue in how we Mm -hmm. share about 
NFP because it's not, it's very different. But when you have somebody talking like that, it feels like it's supposed to be trying to like, like, yeah. come on, come on over here. It's the same. That is precisely how it was pitched in marriage prep. Yeah. It's no different. It's not only no, it, it, it actually, it is completely different. It's so much better. It's so much better. And any problems that it brings up, is just going to make your marriage better. So don't worry about that. It's just going to like, no, it's going to make it like we said at the beginning, or I said at the beginning, blow massive chunks. Okay. Like this, there was so much unrealistic expectation. And, and what was discouraged was kind of going back to what I was talking about with getting into my doctor is like, this is just something that like the, the girls who've been married for 20 years will sit you down and tell you how it is. And with that, the, the kind of subtext there is don't talk to your husband about this. Yes. You know, like this is just something that we talk about amongst us girls. And then, you know, don't bother your husband with this. Just spread your legs and go. That's all he needs. He doesn't really need to talk to you about this. And that's what was so damaging is that once I did talk to my husband, I was like, oh, you're not an insatiable sex fiend. You're a human being who does, who has the ability to love me, who has the ability to sacrifice with me, that his contribution to this is that he is fertile all the time. And that whenever we make a decision together that we need to avoid pregnancy, that's a decision we are making together and bearing the consequences of together. And that's what was never communicated. Is that, nope, this is because the woman is charting, the burden is on her, she's got to figure this out, it's her fertile window, all this type of stuff. It's like, no, there's no such thing as her fertile window. It's our fertile window. It's two people together. Like, you don't, I don't have a fertile window of my, like, of my own accord. You take male factor completely out of this, I am fertile for maximum 48 hours of cycle. Right. Cause that's like how long an egg lives. And if you have double ovulation, like that's it. 48 hours a cycle. Once you bring in male factor, that's where you start to like, because yes, my body produces cervical mucus that sustains sperm life. And my husband is always fertile. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to bring all of these things together, that's where that fertile window starts to expand. But it's once you bring in the male factor, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. And that's what was not communicated. And so it was just so needless. It was so needless and it was so frustrating and it caused so much pain and so much hurt that didn't need to happen just because people were so afraid that if they made it sound real, we would use birth control. That was kind of like what it felt like. Yes. But if we tell the truth, if we tell you the truth of how this goes, you'll never do it. You can't handle it. That yes. Yeah. And that was so insulting. Yes, exactly. Royally pissed me off because I was like, I am getting married. I'm an adult. I can handle this type of stuff. And if you think I can't handle this type of stuff, like it was just, they were too afraid to call us to something higher, you know, to tell us that we were capable of doing this. And that was when I had that realization, that was the closest my husband and I came to using actual contraception. Mm -hmm. That was the closest. And it's the, the ironic part is it's in the honest, like difficult parts. That's how it, how you grow from it. Yep but they want to take that part from you and make it seem as easy as possible. But, but also like, I mean, something else that's lacking in those conversations before marriage about sex in marriage is the importance of emotional intimacy Mm -hmm. and that your spouse is the person that you're supposed to be sharing these concerns with and how you, your fears, how you feel 
very deeply. So, yeah, I mean, if that's not encouraged, I mean, and then that is like the intimacy that often leads to sex, just like naturally. Well, and the fact that we don't talk about how important that is for female sexual satisfaction. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that, if, if a woman does not feel emotionally connected to her husband, she will not have a satisfying sexual experience, you know? And, and I know people will talk about like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The emotional stuff is important, but eventually you get to this point. They're like, well, yeah, but you need to have sex anyway. Which is it? Tell me how that makes sense. It doesn't. It does, and I mean, like, I get it. There does kind of come to a point where it's like a chicken and egg question, like which one comes first? Because for women, like we need that emotional intimacy that leads to our desire for sex. But a lot of times men are on the flip side, right? Like they have sex and then that leads to the emotional intimacy. Yeah. So you do kind of get this chicken and egg question. Yeah. But I think the problem is, is that because we are so male dominated with this conversation, that we just totally. say, well, the physical union is the most important and mm-hmm. we'll get to the emotional stuff later. Um, but I think however you work this out in your marriage, understanding that, no, both of these things are equally important. And then understanding that, like, we're going to work at this ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to try to figure out how this looks in our marriage. But we understand baseline. Both of these are equally important. The physical intimacy and the emotional intimacy. There's not a level of priority. It's just understanding that there's going to be times where we are better at the physical intimacy or we're better at the emotional intimacy, but we understand that they're both equally important. And I think that's just not something that's really talked about. That's certainly not something that I came into marriage with. It was my husband's needs are more important than my own. And I just need to be silent and satisfy them. But meanwhile, like, what is that doing to me? Am I less of a person? No. But that's mm-hmm. the message that's communicated is that my needs, I mean, seriously, like I go, I go back to that conversation all the time where my doctor told me what she told me to a woman who just had major surgery is so sleep deprived, drowning in trying to figure out breastfeeding. I like, I am the one in her office. She can see me, but she doesn't mm-hmm. like I I'm, she's staring right at me and I don't matter. I don't matter. No, what matters is this man who she doesn't know. She doesn't know our marriage. She doesn't know who he is. She is just applying a stereotype to him and saying, this is how it is, sweetheart. Suck it up and deal. Right. You know, like, like why, why is this the way that it is? I don't know. I know. And then, so yeah, so then you're feeling a lot of pressure when you're going to chart because you're like, I got to do this right. Yes. Yes. Because. Yes. I have chosen not to be on birth control mm-hmm. and my husband needs sex, Yep. but, but I cannot get pregnant. Like, I don't want to say I yep. cannot, but like, this is not a good time for me to get pregnant. Yep. I mean, I can imagine the pressure that's coming oh, from huge. all these different areas. It was huge. Where you don't yeah. have the freedom to just like do what you need to do and take care of yourself. So yeah, I know you talked a little bit about this, but how important then does it come become to find the right method that's yeah. going to be able to help you to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously like after our second child, that's when I learned Marquette mm-hmm. and that took so much pressure off of me <clears throat> because literally like in terms of like the mental load of symptothermal and Creighton was monumental. Like I was having to hyper fixate on, you know, I'm having to make sure that I wake up at the same time every morning to take my temperature. Right. Um, 
which is laughable when you have a newborn. I'm having to observe my mucus symptom like every day, like with Creighton, like like I said, you're getting a PhD in your cervical mucus. Mm -hmm. Like there is so much, the the mental load is huge. Especially if you're learning postpartum. Like if you have the freedom to learn before that and you're not, I mean, like that's different. Right, right. It was the worst time to learn that method. The worst time. Um, So Marquette, that's why it was so great for me was because it took that mental load off. I'm peeing on a stick, sticking it in a monitor. The monitor is telling me what's going on. I ain't having to figure this out. Praise God. Okay. Something off of my plate. All I have to do is to remember to pee in the morning, which ain't hard. <laughs> I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I do it anyway. Okay. Like this is happening. I just have to remember to pee in the morning. I, really the hardest part is to remember to grab the cup. I've, I've forgotten that a couple of times. <laughs> Sounds really challenging. Yes. I mean, there, there are times. I mean, it can be. Yeah. I don't want to. When you have it, when you've gotten like two hours of sleep, like, yes, that is a little bit, uh, that is, that is a tough ask, but it's way easier than, okay, I need to like observe my mucus every day. Um, So taking the mental load off, that was like the biggest factor. Like I just felt so much relief, like the burden of charting quote unquote was still very much on me. But the mental load was significantly less. And so that was what made the biggest difference with, with going with Marquette was, and that, that's a huge factor for me. It was like, and if you think about everything that I've talked about, I, there was so much pressure on me from all of these different ideologies and Mm -hmm. messages and whatnot, that taking that mental load off was, was a, that was significant. Yes. That was not insignificant at all. So, so I mean, what, what you're, you're describing is your mental health. Can we talk You'll... a little bit about <laughs> mental health? Because this applies. This is something that we women need to take into account just in general, yeah. whether it has to do with charting or not. But I think yeah. that it's kind of easy for women not to consider charting and NFP as a, as a component of their mental health. Right. You know, so how how can we do a better job of that? Like, how does this play a role? You know, I have a lot of thoughts on that, <laughs> but we got to keep this short. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously we're coming at this as Catholics, so we're very well versed in kind of the Catholic language about this. And I think that, and so I, I can speak predominantly to Catholics on this and in the way that we think about it is like, I think that we think that if we're suffering, we're somehow holier. That like, if I have more than I can handle, then that's going to make God show up or something. I don't know. But we have this idea that, you know, we just need to trudge through and push through with whatever we're suffering, whatever we're going through. And it's like, no, no. I love, um, there's this book. I always quote it. Um, Father Jacques Philippe's uh, Surging for and Maintaining Peace and Interior Freedom. And I've pretty much blended the two in my head. I don't know which one this quote was from. You'll have to read them both to figure it out if you're curious. <laughs> Tough for you. Um, but he was talking about like, you know, we mitigate whatever suffering we can, mm-hmm. right? If you have a headache, you take a Tylenol. If a method of fertility awareness that you're using is causing undue pressure and stress, find another method. Like you don't have to try harder to figure out these methods. And I know like with some, this is something that I think is changing, but I also think that, and this was something that I experienced with when I was using Creighton, there was kind of this subtext of like, well, you just need to keep trying harder, keep trying harder. We'll keep coming back and like figuring this out. And it's like, or there's another method option, right? So that's something that I think we're starting to see a shift in this understanding that there's no such thing as the best method 
of fertility awareness. There's just the best method for you Mm -hmm. and giving women the freedom to figure that out. It's not about, it's not because you're failing or you're doing it wrong. It just might not be the right method for you. So first of all, giving women permission and freedom to consider that. Um, but I, I think that just kind of as a default, we think that if I'm not charting right, something's wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. I need to try harder. I need to do better. But actually what might be going on is that this is not the right method for you. And if, for whatever reason. So uh, yeah, mental health is huge because just time, kind of taking my own story, um, my own views about myself and my husband, these are not healthy things for a healthy marriage, right? That if I see myself as this object for him to use, and I see him as this beast who just needs to ejaculate, how is that producing a healthy marriage? Mm-hmm. It's not. So I need to have a healthy mental state like this contributes to a healthy marriage because we're whole persons we're not these disparate parts and so yeah you it's like well you know my mental health doesn't matter oh yeah it does because it affects the way that you see yourself which affects the way that that plays out in your marriage it affects the way that you parent it affects how you're a friend like it affects absolutely everything and if you end up getting pregnant You want to be in a good mental health place. And then having the child, it's important for you to have you you to be mentally healthy, to be able to care for the child as well. So this is not just about us. I mean, yeah, we, we need that for us and for others, the people we love. Well, I think there's a misconception that if we consider ourselves, then we're somehow selfish and selfish is a vice. And so we don't want that, but you know, Again, thinking about this from like a Catholic Christian paradigm, we believe that everybody is created intentionally. Everybody is the result of a thought of God. I do matter. Mm-hmm. I am important. And it's about having like a healthy understanding of the level of importance, right? It's not like I am the most important person, but no, I am an important person. And what, what I think it comes down to is it is my job to take care of myself, to not, not in terms of like, you know, I can do it all by myself. That's not what I mean. It's, it's my job to figure out what I need. It's my job to figure out, um, you know, what's going on in my head, what's going on in my heart. That's my job to figure out. It's nobody else's job. Now, once I've figured those things out, what my needs are, then the next step, that's where you kind of bring in that level of selflessness, yeah. right? Um, that's where you can say, okay, I have this need, but it may not be prudent to meet it right now. That doesn't mean I'm going to dismiss the need entirely as something that I shouldn't have or don't need. No, I have this need. For example, let's just use a, an overused one. I'm too tired to have sex. Okay. Well, you really went there with that. <laughs> oh, I went there. You know me. I always <laughs> go a brief there. example. It's okay. just a brief example. You know, whatever. I'm, I am so exhausted that like, I can't have sex. Okay. Needing sleep is real. And I, this is not something that I need to push through now. A it's smart an person, actual need. Right. Sex at that moment is not an actual, it's not a need. Right. It's figuring now, out what are real needs. Right. Now, my husband is a smart man and he can read a room. 
And <laughs> if he sees that I'm tired, he ain't going to be asking for sex. Um, so, but like, let's say like he's kind of in the mood. So I recognize that I need sleep, but I also recognize that like my husband is like, Hey honey, I want to connect with you. And I recognize that as good. Now, by taking the time to recognize my very practical need for sleep and being like, okay, no, here's a need. I can actually make space for his need as well. So what that means is in practice, if he's like kind of starting to put the moves on and I'm like, I, you will have sex, like you're going to have like narcolepsy, like what's a, (laughs) I'm taking it somewhere very strange. I literally, the thing that pops into my head was people who like to have sex with people who are asleep. Yeah. Not going there. No, anyway. My friend um, calls it starfishing where you just lay there and he just goes. And that is a new term for me, but women actually use that term. Okay. Yeah. We're not doing that in this house. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I'm just saying that's what you're talking about where I'm okay. just here and right. just do what you want to do. Just do what you need to do. Yeah. Right. So what that looks like in practice is not starfishing. It's honey. I am so tired. I need right. to go to sleep but I'll be nice and fresh in the morning. Let's try again. Yeah. You know, like that's read. Like, okay. Yeah. You will literally have sex with, with a sleeping wife, which is (laughs) do, which is dubious. Um, Don't do that. Um, Or I can go to sleep. We can both go to sleep and then we can try again in the morning. And sex maintains its integrity. Right. Like that's, like sex doesn't become something that you hate because right, you're just right. tolerating it. I mean, but so that's not th- selfish. Yeah, that's ex- not selfish. exactly. That's, exactly. Here is a very practical need that I have. And again, if I, I married a smart man, he's like, I, I, he can see that I'm tired. He can see that I'm overwhelmed with the kids. Like he helps me with dinner. He puts the kids to bed. He gives them a bath, like all these types of things to take something off of my plate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other element here is that parenting is something that we share. It's something that we do together. It's not my job. Like he's their dad. They need a dad. Okay. This is what this looks like. And so like, that's something that we work on. And there's times where, you know, he's had a really stressful day at work. And so I'm having to pick that up. So there's reciprocity here, but that's the point is like, when you're talking about charting and you're talking about when you just kind of couch it as like, this is the woman's job. You're making it impossible to have any kind of spousal unity, like to any kind of depth other than physical. Like, sure, you can have union by a penis going in a vagina, but that's not even scratching the surface of what union is supposed to mean. You know, so like, it's about a person. It's not about body parts connecting. It's more than that. And this is the lifestyle difference of NFP of fertility awareness. It is hard work. It is about two whole persons. It's about health. It's holistic. It's about communication. It's about all of those things. So very different from birth control. And that's what, you know, again, to just emphasize, like, it's not just about the charting. It's about the life experiences that contribute to the charting and the charting contributes to the life experience. It is a lifestyle. Um, Real quick. I want to ask you one last question. Um, Yep. I'm wondering, was there ever a time with Marquette that that became difficult or, or you wanted to stop charting or you did stop charting? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, yeah. there's been plenty of times where I've wanted to chuck that monitor across the room and just be like, F it, I'm done. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's, I mean, one of the things that I haven't really talked about, cause I haven't experienced this in a while. It's been a while since this has been my boat, but I've been in this boat where you're ovulating and you know, your hormones make you super horny, but that's going to make a baby. And it's not a good time for that right now. Yeah, that sucks. The The thing that I liked about Marquette in that regard was like, I had a scapegoat and it was called the monitor. And I was like, I hate right. this freaking thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was great. It wasn't my charting. It wasn't, you know, my, no, it was this stupid freaking monitor. That's the one that's screwing up our sex life. Um, it was great. I loved it. Um, I had something to blame that was outside of myself. Fabulous. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely been those times and I think that's kind of been mitigated for me. This is the the beautiful thing about being married for longer and also having children is like sex changes. Um, sex has consequences and they're called babies. <laughs> and I don't particularly care for pregnancy. I've told people before, if I could do it in a medically induced coma, I would. Um, Starfish pregnancy. <laughs> oh, Lord. Honey, go get you a doll for this period of time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, if that was feasible, I would sign up in a heartbeat. I I do not care for pregnancy and don't get me started on birth. That's that's also that's not very pleasant either. Um so yeah, sex is like that's kind of like cooled me down a little bit, you know? Like when I'm feeling super horny, I'm like Okay. I I don't know. I feel like over time I've been able to develop like the authentic virtue of chastity, which is that integration of sexuality within the whole person. Mm -hmm. Like I understand that like my sexual urges are good and that my husband's sexual urges are good, but I also understand that's not the sum total of who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been very hard one. (laughs) That's not easy. Um, so kind of coming back to like charting, have I ever wanted to stop charting? Oh, hell yeah. Um, I actually did stop charting. Um, (laughs) You remember this when we were experiencing um, secondary infertility. I stopped charting. Um, It was over the holidays. We were traveling. I was I was just insanely stressed out um, about the travel because we were traveling during COVID and my youngest son refused to wear a mask. And I was just so panicked that we were going to get kicked off the plane and and whatnot. Nobody said a thing. I was like, okay, whatever. But there was just, there was so much stuff going. We were also going to be, um, with family for two weeks and my husband was going to be like taken off for a little bit of that time. It was just going to be like a bonkers time. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not getting pregnant. Who cares? Like I just, something needs to go for, again, my mental health, Right. I just need something to take a backseat. This is one thing that I just need to take off of my plate. And I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the weird thing is, is like, when you stop charting, you never really stop charting. Like once you learn this language, like I can't shut that off. You're aware. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. Like I was still watching my cervical mucus. I knew I was ovulating. Like I knew what I was seeing. Um, and, but I just like, I was just not charting, um, with like the monitor or anything. Um, yeah. So yes, I have stopped charting. Um, that was the first time we had been married. I think, uh, that was 
six years we had been married. That was the first time I ever stopped charting. And it was for one cycle. And that was the first cycle you stopped charting? Ever. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. That was the first time. Because it's like, because I did feel that I, I felt like it would be wrong for me to stop on the one hand. Um, like it, it felt like it would be irresponsible. Um, but on the other hand, it was also like, I just couldn't shut that part of my brain off. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I was just, it was going to be like one of those things like, okay, well my cervical mucus, I saw fertile cervical mucus, but like, is my period going to come? Did I do that? Right. You know, there was just going to be like that type of war in my head. So like, I don't feel like putting myself through that. So I'm just going to keep charting with the monitors. That was the first time in six and a, well, I guess I started charting in marriage prep. So six and a half years. Uh, that was the first time that I stopped charting, not because I was pregnant. Right. Which you have full permission to do. Yes. Anyone you do. listening. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes. And you and your husband can make the decisions that are best for you based on that, you know? Yep. Yeah. And it's, I know it's like a tough thing. Um, especially if you have like a serious need to avoid pregnancy and whatnot. Um, you know, but I mean, like, if that means, I don't know, like there can be all kinds of things that come up in your marriage. Like maybe we do need to stop charting. Maybe we do need to have like a long period of abstinence. I don't know. I know yeah. couples who have done that. Um, I'm not necessarily recommending it. Um, but like, you know, the thing that I always tell people is like, if you're going to do something crazy, like, do you feel peace about it? And like, when I stopped charting for that one cycle, I felt peace. It felt a little crazy. It felt mm-hmm. like, I don't know about this, but like, there was a lot of peace about just, yeah. nah, just don't worry about it. Is the point is it's totally individual. So none of mm-hmm. us can make judgments about anybody else's marriage period, full That's stop. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's between the couple and God. And now I know this isn't what you're talking about, but just for the sake of clarifying, there are times when couples, it is good for them to go on long periods of abstinence. Like, again, it depends on the situation, the health of the couple, whether that's the physical health or the yeah, mental yeah. health. So there are, there are situations where that is good. It just completely depends on the situation. I think you're probably referring to like avoiding pregnancy, right? If that's the only thing going on, not Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Like if you're, if you have a serious need to avoid pregnancy, but there's just something going on in your life where like charting is just not going to happen like, right. and that results in a long period of abstinence. Um, again, like that's, that's a serious conversation to have, like something that depends greatly on the health of your marriage, the, your ability to communicate and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so again, it's not something that I'm recommending. It's like, go for a year without having sex. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) This is not a flippant decision. Um, but I know couples who have done that. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know how they did it. Um, I'm like, wow, like that, that takes like next level, like intestinal fortitude. Like I don't even, I don't don't know. There's a, there's, there's a level of fortitude there that I don't, yes. <laughs> but I sure. know people who've done it and they didn't die. So yes. that's Imagine <laughs> that. so sex, it was not a, a biological need. Is that what you were saying? No, no. I you, mean, amazing. You can, you can go through life without Living orgasm proof. or ejaculating and not die. Proof right there. I love I it. Know. Well, Emily, thank you so much for, as always, being so vulnerable and sharing so much of your story with us. I think that it really helps to put a lot of these things into perspective. And again, this is just 
I think highlighting our goal with the the series of when charting sucks is to show that it's messy and it's not all it's not the same as, as birth control. This is a lifestyle change and everybody is is unique in their experience of it and that's okay and to be able to share that. Like this is hard. This is really good, but there's also some hard parts of it. Yeah. So, well I think with with fertility awareness and NFP the, the reality is is that it's going to bring all of the baggage to the foreground. Mhm. It's, and you're going to have to deal with it. And that's, I think that's the part that sucks. Everything I'm talking about, like NFP brought it all up to the surface. The, like all of that stuff that you just had, had been stuffed down, you know, the analogy that I like to use, get ready, is, you know, we all kind of have our own piles of crap lying around. And they've been sitting I've around got for lots so long. Of them with my dog. Oh yeah. But they've been sitting around for so long. We just kind of got used to the smell. Yeah. And then you need something else to come through to be like, oh, yeah, no, there's a lot of crap laying around here. And now I need to get rid of it. And it's mm-hmm. just a very unpleasant process. But it's good. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. That's called growth. Like, that's the whole point of marriage is to, like, yeah. make your shit stink again. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I think a lot of people like having that stuff hidden. But it's really not. It's going to come out sideways if it doesn't yeah. come out. So it is not good to keep those things yeah. down. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, like. Yes, NFP brings them up and that's really hard, but they need to be brought up. And many yep. times NFP is a vehicle and thank God that there's some vehicle, okay? Whether yeah. it's NFP or something else, because we need to process those things and deal, deal with them. Yeah. And that's really going to make us more whole. Yeah. Like not knowing that I got married with the obligation sex message, but figuring that out along oh. the way. Huge. That's yes. Huge. I love it. Well, listeners, thank you all so much for tuning in with us. Once again, you know where to find us. Our website is fabmbase.org and come find us on social media. We would love to say hello. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our conversation. If you enjoy The Intersect, would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review? You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement. We're so glad you hung out with us today and we can't wait till next time.